The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, it's so good to welcome you all here and to say hello to all of us, all of those joining us via the marvels of modern communication and the internet and the you know, virtual retreats. As hard as it is to not get to be in person for something like this for the retreat, nevertheless, God is so good and provides and I'm so grateful as I give this talk in the middle of February on, just so you know, a terribly rainy night, which makes all of your coming here that much more awesome. You know, how good it is that everybody is here, even though it is pouring down rain and late at night and all of this. And yet, we're here because our Lord loves us and ultimately wants us to be happy, wants us to be fulfilled, wants us to come ever closer and closer to his most sacred heart. And so whenever we start kind of like talking about vocations, I think one of the easiest ways to sort of dive into it is to just kind of give you an insight into my own vocation story. Kind of boring, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's one of those things where to talk about how we fell in love can be like one of the best ways to sort of share with other people why it's good to dive in, why it's good when our Lord calls us to listen to what he's saying. And I'm incredibly blessed in that when I was born, basically, and even before then, you know, very often when someone is Catholic from the time they're very young, they call them typically a cradle Catholic, right? Well, I like to say that I was Catholic from the time I was conceived. I'm really blessed in that my family is very, very faithful and has raised me very much in the church. Like, I never went through a time when I wasn't close to our Lord, that I wasn't going to Mass on Sunday. And it's an incredible gift. And I think there are plenty of times when I was younger, I didn't necessarily appreciate that. And I know that there are some days when it's rainy and it's tough to go. It's easy to think like, Ugh, you know, what's, I just don't really want to do this, but we go. 
And I'm blessed that all the way growing up, I can only remember one Sunday when we didn't get to go to Mass, and it's because it had snowed too much and it just was impossible. And I used to say that I'm so blessed that my parents didn't make us go to church, but they made us want to go to church. And the fact that they wanted to go themselves, it wasn't like it was a big chore or a big difficulty, it was just something that we always did. And I grew up serving in the church all the time, like as an altar server growing up. I was around, my grandma used to clean the church and I'd go with her. We actually lived pretty close to the church early on in Illinois. And it was a parish called Our Lady of Lords. And one of my earlier memories is when my grandpa would take me to the front of the church and we would count the O's on the sign of Our Lady of Lords. Off the top of my head, I don't remember how many O's that there are. We could probably figure that out. We'll do that at another time. So it's one of those things that it's like it was all around me all the time. And I was so blessed. And I even... When I was a young man, we used to have these vocation summer camps in our diocese. I grew up in the Diocese of Peoria, Illinois, and they had this summer camp called the Mayus Days. And in fact, they used to begin it at the seventh grade year. I snuck in as a sixth grader. You know, I really wanted to go and be a part of these things. And I'm so grateful that I did. And I'll tell you one of the big reasons why is at that summer camp, they taught us a little prayer that has stuck with me all of these years, and it helps whether you're discerning your vocation or whether you're in the midst of your vocation, and that's, Lord, help me to want to be what you want me to be. And so it was one of those things that stuck with me, Lord, help me to want to be what you want me to be. Now, kept growing up, I went to high school, and I remember when I was in the midst of high school, had a great time, had some wonderful friends. I even visited the seminary thinking like, this is probably what I'm called to be. So my junior year of high school, my best friend and I, now Father Vince Giacobazzi, uh, we went and visited some seminaries. And I'll tell you, as a 17-year-old, I really liked the idea of becoming a priest. It sounded so exciting and to get to, you know, be with people and to pray, to be close to our Lord, all these great things. I loved the idea of the priesthood. It sounded so incredible, but the seminary scared the heck out of me. I'll be honest with you. When I was there, you know, looking at all of the different things and especially the schedule, when I was 17 years old, this blew me away that they started doing things at 6.30 in the morning. Now, at this point in my life, that's not so crazy, is it? I mean, most people are up and going by 6.30, right? I was a lazy 17-year-old. I didn't really want to be up and going at 6.30 every day. And sort of like that, you know, strong every day, having the, you know, strict guidelines of what's going on and you need to be in by this time. I was really blessed when I was in high school, grade school, like, I never had a curfew growing up. I never really needed one. I mean, I didn't come in that late. There was one time I stayed over at my friend Max's house way too late watching a movie. Have you ever done that where you're out, you fall asleep, you wake up, and you're like, oh my goodness, it's like two in the morning. And I went home, and I remember I just kind of peeked my head into my parents' room, and I was like, I'm home. And I'll never forget, my dad said, never again. Okay, you got it. And that was all I needed for a curfew. So it worked out pretty well, and I didn't really violate all that much. And so it's not like I was a crazy kid running around, other than the occasional movie with Max, right? But nevertheless, the seminary was one of those things where it was like, wow, 
this is a really strict environment where you're going to be up, you're going to be praying, you're going to be in class, you're going to be going and going and going. And I just wasn't ready for that. So it's one of those things that's like, well, I guess if I'm not going into the seminary, I guess I'm not going to be a priest. And if I'm not going to be a priest, I got to figure out what else I'm supposed to be. And what I figured was, well, if I'm not going to be a priest, I guess I'll be a politician. So, and the whole reason for that, my dad worked for the government when I was growing up. And I used to get to visit Washington, D.C. pretty, like we got to go on a big trip with my dad. And I loved going there and I was always so impressed. And so I went to college with that friend that I visited seminary with, and we were actually roommates, and I studied political science, okay? Now, I had a great time in college. It was fantastic, it was a wonderful experience. I was in student government, I was involved in a fraternity, I had a lot of wonderful friends, I worked for a place called Anheuser-Busch, where we did all kinds of wonderful things, especially singing the Budweiser song and working with the Clydesdales, right? Like all of these great things, all of the time, and it was wonderful. And in fact, there for a while when I was in college, like I said, I went in because it was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a priest. I'm going to be doing something else. I had a girlfriend for quite a while, and I was pretty convinced. It's like, well, I think I'm going to get married. Now, as time went by, I was really blessed in the fact that, like I said, I've always gone to Mass every Sunday. There was one weekend where I went to a good time on Saturday night, had some fun with my friends. I slept in way too late on Sunday, and I felt so bad about it, I went to Mass on Monday and I think throughout the rest of that week. So that was my time away from the church, okay? So I was really blessed in that, that it didn't last very long. But it's one of those things in the midst of colleges, I'm looking at like what I'm supposed to do next as I'm studying politics, as I'm looking at maybe just staying on with Anheuser-Busch. Like all of these things that, hey, they're wonderful things that are out there. And yet, there were some times that it was just really apparent that that is not what I'm supposed to do. And I'll tell you, I was really blessed by two priests in particular. And you know how some people have a way of not so much yelling at you like in a way that like you're in trouble, but man, can they like make you feel like they're totally disappointed in you? Have you ever had that feeling? Because that's so much worse than just getting in trouble. So at one point, I went out to eat with a priest friend of mine who had known me growing up. And actually, once again, this best friend's involved too. We, we traveled to see him in Illinois. We're out to eat. We're having a nice time. And he says, and at this point, we're like juniors in college. He says, what are you guys going to do next year? What are you going to do, you know, when you move on with college? And I said, well, I said, you know, I'm really liking working for Anheuser-Busch. I think I'm going to stay with them. And I'll never forget. His name is Monsignor Merdian. He's a wonderful man. He looked at me and he goes, oh, John. You're made for so much more. And it was one of those things like, oh, he got me. And he got me really good. But I still wasn't completely sold, right? So kind of like continued on in the college time, moving on later and later. It's like all of a sudden, graduation is on the horizon. You know, all of a sudden, I'm not going to be in school anymore. And I got to start figuring something out. And there was a priest on our campus at St. Louis University. 
He was kind of a bigger guy. I won't go into a whole lot more descriptions because we're being filmed right now, but he used to drive a golf cart around the campus. And it was like a three-wheeled golf cart. And he was the type of guy, maybe you know someone like this, where they can be kind of strong and rough sometimes and he'd like punch you in the arm. And he was being funny, but it actually hurt. You know, he's like that kind of a guy. He was just like really kind of in your face and tough. Well, one day, senior year, I'm walking down the campus and he drives by, he's like, John Eckert! And that's the way that he talked, like all the time, even when you were in his office. John Eckert, I want to see you in my office. Okay, and he sped off in the three-wheeled golf cart, and I walked along. And I met him, in my, and met him in his office, and he said, what are you doing next year? Well, at this point, I kind of moved beyond. I wasn't going to work for Anheuser-Busch. But I was a double major in political science and communication. And one of my professors was talking me into this master's degree program in political communication, okay? And he said, what are you doing next year? And I said, well, I'm looking at this political communication program at Texas A&M. He goes, what about the seminary? And I said, well, you know, maybe. I think that may be in the future, but I think now, I think I'm gonna go get this master's degree. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he said it just like that, very loudly. Now, I'm grateful that he didn't punch me at that point, because I probably would have been unconscious. And it just knocked me for a loop. And he said, either you go into the seminary or you don't. He goes, if you're supposed to get a master's degree, it will come, but you follow the Lord or you don't. And I got to tell you, I'm grateful that he said that, right? because I needed it. You know, there are some times in our life, like sometimes we really need a pat in the back. Sometimes we're having a really hard day. We need someone to go, hey, it's okay. You can, you can do it. You can get through this. Sometimes we kind of need a kick in the backside to sort of, you know, like get going. And I'm grateful that he did it because it's like, okay, I don't think that I'm supposed to go into politics. God bless them. There are people who can go into politics and remain good and do good things. God bless them. It just wasn't for me. And I think I knew that in the depths of my heart. It was a hard thing to sort of embrace. But as I kept moving on you know, into that senior year, it was apparent that I needed to give it a shot. I didn't know for sure. If this is really what I was called to be, if I was really called to be a priest. But I listened and I entered into seminary. And I'll tell you, that summer between when I graduated from college in May and that August when I entered seminary was one of the hardest times of my life. Because here are all my friends, they're going off to either their master's programs or their jobs. And then I worked in a mailroom that summer, which brought all sorts of different fun experiences, but then entered into seminary in the fall. And I'll never forget that first Friday night when I knew that some of my friends who were behind me in school were back at St. Louis University out having a good time. And here's me with like a hundred dudes that I don't really know well yet. And frankly, they seemed kind of weird to me. You know, it was just hard to get used to this. In fact, one of them who became like my very best friend, right, in seminary, we were very good friends. He is now actually a vocation director in his diocese. When he was a college student, he went to the University of Notre Dame and he was the leprechaun, okay? It's really cool. Now, 
that also translated to he was very intense about their football. And this was at a time when a man by the name of Tyrone Willingham was their coach. And what that meant was that Notre Dame never won uh, at football during those years. And there was one day I was like, oh, I'll join him in watching some football. And I go in and it's the two of us and something bad happened as it always did at that time. And he literally jumped out of the seat, turned around and started slamming his fists on the couch. And I thought to myself, where in the world am I? It was terrible. And I remember getting up, you know, so early in the morning and being at logic class at 8.30 and like, what have I done with my life? It's so terrible. But the beautiful thing, obviously, as you can tell, I made it, you know? So as we went through those years, I got to know those guys better, right? I got to know a whole lot of things in the classes, but I will tell you, all of a sudden things kind of changed my first summer of seminary because I was in a parish and all of a sudden it was like our Lord was telling me as I got to serve him every day at daily mass I got to go about going to the hospital and visit people in fact I'll never forget the gentleman I got to take communion to time and time again my first year of seminary in that first summer his name was Alan Musari and he passed away at the end of that summer after I got to visit him at least once a week and got to go see him. I got to work in what they had up there as this vacation Bible school. You know, I got to be a part of these families and I got to know our Lord. And it's incredible. And I'll tell you, when you look at this gospel passage, and it's one that I think we know so well, the one we started with tonight, you know, here's this rich man, right? And he runs up and he asks the question we've all got to ask. Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And on a certain level, you know, our Lord knows he's making small talk. He knows that he's kind of schmoozing him. He knows that he's kind of, you know, going with, why do you call me good, right? I mean, Jesus is the son of God, the second person in the most holy trinity. There he is. And yet it's like, what are you getting at? What are you asking? Why are you kind of dancing around here? But as you can see, it's so much more than just following the commandments. That ultimately, our Lord, and you'll look at this, and there's a reason why I love reading this particular gospel from the gospel of Mark. It's the same story as in Matthew and in Luke, but Mark tells us something really, really important. And I think it's because Mark was very close to St. Peter. And St. Peter was watching, and St. Peter knew our Lord so well. And St. Mark is the only one who tells us that after the man says, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. You know what Jesus does? It says, And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him. How incredible is that? Our Lord looks at us and loves us. And notice that he does that before he says, You know, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now the beautiful thing there is, he looks at him first. He loves him. And my sisters in Christ, he does the same thing for us. How incredible that is that our Lord looks at us and loves us, right? He asks us to trust him. And I'll tell you that prayer, Lord, help me to want to be what you want me to be helps so much because we recognize the fact that you know what Lord you love me 
and I know that you love me. And there are so many things that can be hard to give up. Things that we have planned for the future. Different ideas of what we really, really need. But I will tell you that when we trust him and we do what he's asking of us, we're never disappointed. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, I'd say it's pretty rare that it is easy, okay? Like, I've been a priest now for over 10 years, and there haven't been that many easy days. But I will tell you, they've all been good. And the great thing about that is knowing that when we trust Him, and when we follow Him, and we ask Him, what are you asking me to leave behind and follow you? And obviously, it's a little bit different for all of us. We're not all called to be religious, but some of us are. We're not all called to be married, but some of us are. And we're not all called to the same thing, but we are all called to his love. And I would say it's never too early to make sure that we're stopping and listening to him, listening to what he's saying to us, and asking him for the grace, Lord, help me to trust in that love that you have for me. Help me not to be afraid to take that next step. Because I'll tell you, I mean, I can remember, I can picture it in my mind. You know how there are some memories that are like burned in your mind and you can remember where you were and like what it smelled like at the time, what the lighting was even like. I remember looking at like the medicine cabinet in my room on that first Friday night in the seminary and just, ugh. But at the same time, I can remember some of the most incredible things where I've walked out of that confessional after an hour or two and seen people come out of there new, almost like risen from the dead. I've gotten to be a part of so many incredible stories, gotten to be a part of so many awesome lives. And I'll tell you, like, I feel so blessed too that here I am, I mean, I'm preaching right here in my home parish, Sacred Heart in Salisbury. And then I can also call a place like Ann Arbor home. I can call a place like Fatima, Portugal home. I can call a place like Peoria, Illinois, and I go visit my family home. Our Lord doesn't ask us to give things up without giving us so much more. And ultimately, the beautiful thing about that is that the root of what he's giving us is his very self, is his love. So my sisters in Christ, I would tell you, don't ever be afraid to ask him, Lord, what is it that you want me to be? What are you calling me to? Spend time in front of him. Let him look at you and love you. You don't have to sort of like put on a show like this, the rich man kind of does in the beginning. It's okay. It's good that he's coming. It's good that he's asking. It's good that he wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the beautiful thing about our vocations, the beautiful thing about listening to him and saying yes, is in a way it's like we already get a foretaste of the eternal life right here and right now. He gives us himself in the sacraments. He pours out himself in the midst of us engaging in charitable work, of working with one another, of loving one another, of the new and incredible people he puts in your life. How awesome that is. And how every day may be a surprise. You may not know what's coming next, but the constant thing that you do know is there is his love. 
He never stops looking at us, never stops loving us. But here's the scary thing. You know the way that this ends. You hear this, you know, that Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. This is the scary part. At that saying, his countenance fell. Basically, he went from being kind of excited to gloomy. His countenance fell, his face fell down, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's the thing. We gotta be careful that we don't sort of like hold on to different things in a jealous way and not trust in him. Because the thing that I've found in my life is that when I trust in the fact that he looks at me and that he loves me and that he's not going to abandon me and that whatever he's asking, he's gonna provide a hundredfold more in ways that I don't even imagine, sometimes in ways I don't even want. And that's where we have to keep praying. Lord, help me to want to be what you want me to be. But the thing that I've found time and time and time again as we continue to approach the sacraments, as we continue to open ourselves up to him, as we continue to be immersed in the communities that he's provided for us, such as the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. I wish they were all here with us right now because to see their joy, to see them laughing and praying and just happy together, it does my heart so good. It's so incredible. And that's the amazing thing too in our vocations. Like God provides. You think that someone with a celibate vocation is alone. We are never alone. We're with him. We're with each other. We're able to give ourselves in an incredible way. God continues to do that time and time again. What we have to do is ask him for the strength and the courage and the love to respond. Because my sisters in Christ, I will tell you that as long as we trust in that loving gaze of our Lord, as long as we respond to him with a loving and open heart, I promise you, you'll never go away sorrowful. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.